You are listening to episode 75 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. We're practicing social distancing, and this is Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and this week we try to press our advantage as much as possible in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Dude, I was pretty stoked to finally crack the PlayStation Classic out of the box. Uh, it's been sitting in my closet for quite a while now. Uh, to See, be a I took mine oh. out of the box and then put it in the closet. So it's been sitting in a clustered basket full of my... Um, God, what's that game I got for Switch with all the, the ships that you plug onto the controller? What's that called? Oh, uh, hold on. It's over here on the side yeah, of got my pile. Too. Uh, Starlink. 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 Yeah, it's been sitting yeah. in a basket with Starlink and a bunch of random cords for since the day I bought it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so to be upfront with people, we are recording uh, via Zencaster, not our typical standard setup. So if anything cuts out or it sounds kind of funny, that's probably the main reason. Uh, hopefully, once this whole COVID nineteen thing goes away, uh, we can get back to recording as normal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll try to make this a quick episode just to make sure we don't have any major audio hangups. Uh, so, dude, I'll start with, uh, you know, what well, I'm currently playing. Before oh. you start, I do want to tell everybody uh, thank you very much to all our friends in Great Britain for putting us on uh, a list of the top of the top 250 gaming podcasts in Great Britain. We hit 46. So thank you, UK listeners. Yeah, actually, dude, that's a pretty sweet list to be on. Uh, I was pretty stoked about it. And I love the Retronauts out there, but we're beating you. So, ha! Yeah, so now they're going to take those uh, a non-existing they'll competition and they'll destroy us. Watch, they're going <laughs> to hear it. Okay, we can use a Retronauts hashtag now, Ryan. There we okay, go. so uh, this week, what I'm currently playing, Arc Lad 3. I am about 10 hours into the game so far, having a lot of fun with it. Very reminiscent of Arc Light 2, as I've said, and the whole mission system for the Hunters Guild has been fantastic. So, enjoying every moment of it. Uh, I just got to Gilsmer, I think is the name of it, and the Society Village, which is like the third continent in a sense. Not really continent, but third area that you go to within the game. And for nobody that's played this game in the past, uh, really what it kind of amounts to is you travel to different parts of the world and you're kind of stuck there. So it's like, I, I don't want to say Mario, but it's got like four or five different places you can go to. And every time you enter there, unless there's like, it's part of a quest, there's generally like a battle or something going on like all the time. Like that's how you train. So there's no randomized battles. It's all tactical based RPG. And so you just like, run these. It's like final fantasy tactics. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, Where, I would like say it's pretty close to that. around the map and you have like a chance of running into enemies. I think in that it's on the way to where you're going, not where you, when you get there. Or Yeah, like uh, this is when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, other than that, I'm playing Neverwinter Nights still with my wife. And, you know, we haven't gotten to that forever. You might as well. Like, how much progress are you really making on that one? Uh, I think we're clearing a couple dungeons every time we play. So is that, is that really advancing much? Uh, given the size of those dungeons and the sheer amount of items that we hoard on a day to day basis. Yes. So we dude, we've accumulated like 100,000 gold in that game. and We're only on chapter two. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you guys are doing all that and you haven't made like any forward momentum. Like 
if you already have all the best items and you already have all this money, like, how are you so far behind in, like, like, are you just free roaming it like you would do Skyrim and you're not, like, really doing the main quest? Well, we're doing the main quest, but we're also doing a lot of side quests as well. Man, it just seems like you've done so much, like... You were showing me your character and your crazy stats, and I'm like, you're only, like, you should be way, f- like, you seem too powerful for where you're at. But believe it or not, no, we've come across some dungeons where it's just kind of crazy. Like, it's actually, uh, we're getting killed, even with a companion. So the game is not very easy at times. It's actually kind of unforgiving on a Switch. It'd be nice if I had hotkeys and I could, like, quickly do stuff, but I can't because it's on a Switch. Yeah. So that's kind of a downside. I really wish they would have had like touch capabilities on the screen itself. I wish um, the Switch or, just made better use of its touch screen in general. Yeah, that too. Like, and see, that's the thing that people downplay about the Wii U. Okay. The Wii U, I had the ability to play something on my TV, plus, I had the ability to play it in my hands, right? And I had that, you know, that flexibility, whereas a switch doesn't have that because it's that whole like, oh, I could take my console wherever switch is. I know the TV or in your hand. Yeah. Versus with the Wii U, you can play it on the TV at the same time. Well, on the Wii U, you can you can have the screen in hand and there's certain games that take advantage of the touch screen on the Wii U. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it's you have the. The difference between the switch and the Wii U is, like, the Wii U is built off of, like, being a giant in-home DS. And yeah. the Switch is built off of being just, like, uh, I guess, like, a Super Game Boy. Yeah, kind of. I, I would say that. Same, like, two comparisons. You're either taking it with you or playing it on the TV. But in the other one, you're using two screens actively. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's got its upsides and its downsides. Honestly, I just really wish there was some sort of way that I could play both like the touchscreen capabilities and on my TV, but well, you can't. So This will tie into uh, an article we're talking about a little later. So let's uh, we could talk about this some more then. Yeah. OK, so uh, I will go into my currently or not my currently playing my current pickups and then I'll pass it on to you. So this week I picked up a bunch of 360 games, including Spectral Force. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Lost Odyssey was in there, along with the strategy guide, uh, Legend of Mana. Uh, let's see, Silhouette you Mirage. Lost Odyssey. Yeah, I know. That's what sucks. So like, you know, I picked it up. This guy um, uh, that I bought it from had a lot of great games and super nice guy. All of his stuff was in like super pristine condition. So I was pretty stoked about that. So the Lost Odyssey copy that I just bought like a week ago or two weeks ago, I just sold that actually this morning. Uh, And funny enough, I'm breaking even on that. So I bought it for like 12 bucks and I just sold it for like 14. So I'm going to just keep the one that I got from the guy uh, the other day because his is in perfect shape. Um, But I got Silhouette Mirage out of him. I finally got Breath of Fire 4 complete in box and Legend of Mana. And dude, when I say that this guy's collection and his games that he sold me were pristine. It looks like it just came out of shrink wrap. Like Dude, these look like they were on. Un- that's what huh? everything looked like in Japan. 
Oh my god, dude. So like seriously, like these games look like he didn't touch them. But I know he did because he he talked to me about when he played them. He must have been so careful with everything. Like the manuals, no bends, completely crisp. The outside, no scratches on the on the jewel cases. The discs themselves are just like perfect. Like it, dust is the only thing that you see on well, these I games. Mean, it's that... like most people I feel that, you know, take care of their stuff like I'm pretty sure most of the games that I have that I didn't buy used at GameStop are like in nearly new condition. Yeah, I'd say mine are as well. But, you know, when you start getting into things sometimes like I don't PlayStation, even take that little sometimes I just cut the the seal on the side and leave the sticker on. Oh, God, I hate when people do that. Um, but I think this guy was the original owner. It's the only thing I can think of, because. The fact that they were in such good condition is kind of shocking. Like, uh, I'm actually baffled by how good of condition these games were. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Like, overall, great collection. I think Last Remnant was one of the games in there, too. So I'm pretty stoked about, you know, the collection as a whole. And uh, there was also a homebrew NES game, Nomalus, which is like a Castlevania-style game. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I got that, too. So we maybe we should try that one of these days. That'd be cool. Uh I've but yeah, it like was a homebrew like that. Yeah, I played a few homebrews in the past, but I hadn't I haven't owned a physical copy of one until That's now. Cool. Yeah, so it was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool collection. The guy was pretty cool. And um, I told him to listen to our podcast. I actually sent him a link of it. I'm like, dude, you got to check us out. And Wait, we, gotta we do gaming. So cards. Yeah, right. We got to get some business cards out there. So, uh, yeah, that's what I currently have, man. I'm seeing you have no pickups. So what are you currently playing? So this week, I uh, I didn't even mess around. All, all I did was play Animal Crossing. So I uh, I learned a lot this week. Before, I was just kind of going through the paces and doing it at my own, you know, like not trying too hard, not really pushing things, just seeing what the game was throwing at me. Because eventually you run out of stuff to, you know, unlock and work towards and do. So I'm trying to stretch that out because... I like to play this at least for most of the year just to see what's going to come. Uh, I think mm -hmm. I talked last week a little bit about Bunny Day. Bunny Day, they finally kind of toned it down because it's like you'd be seeing balloons like crazy and they'd be just eggs. And it's like now I kind of wish I'd taken more advantage of it then because it's not as frequent now. And... uh I finally broke down and I looked up like, okay, what is all the list of the DIYs that I can get for this? And I tracked down all of them except for, I think there's one that I have to get by actually making the stuff. And I was selling all the eggs that I was finding pretty much, which was stupid because I looked it up finally. And mm -hmm. spoilers, spoilers, I'm going to say for anybody who's you know doing Animal Crossing at your own pace. I know some people are really not into learning stuff so skip ahead here you want to write down a timestamp? 11 uh, sure okay. I, I will write that down so um i looked it up and there's certain things that you have to craft to unlock other diy crafting recipes which is like i think you have to make all of the bunny day stuff or at least so many items of it to get it and also everything that you sell that's made of the eggs is worth twice the value of the eggs. So it doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter how many of those you make. 
you just make stuff out of the eggs and sell them because just selling the eggs is like just you're throwing away half the money you could be making. And then the uh, I love the cherry blossoms. Me and my wife, we went to Japan last year and we were there for cherry blossom season. So it was cool seeing cherry blossoms in Animal Crossing. It meant a lot more to me this time. And I'm really sad that I missed out on most of the DIY recipes for that. Unfortunately, I caught a ton of cherry blossoms. I have so many extras. I can make as many as I want of the stuff that I can make, but I guess I'm going to have to wait till next year to be able to get more recipes for it. So that kind of sucks. Um, the fishing tourney just happened the other day or yesterday, and that was kind of lame. Uh, have you ever played much? You haven't played much Animal Crossing, so you probably don't even know what the old fishing tourney was, do you, John? No, I don't know what the fishing tourney is. So I only remember it from the GameCube one, and basically you'd like go catch a fish and bring the fish to this guy, and he would tell you if it was um, like how big it was, and you had to try to bring him the biggest fish, and I think you only got like one try or maybe a couple tries. But it was like, who could get the biggest fish? And this one's stupid. This one is just like, okay, I'm going to put three minutes on the clock. You go catch fish, and then you'll get so many points for how many fish you catch. And then every 10 points you have, you can turn those in for a random item out of the selection of rewards. So I got like three things from that. Like the ice chest was kind of cool looking. I kind of gave up on that too and just went online that day and looked up like I think I'm going to be confident just looking stuff up now because I've kind of broken that seal and I kind of know what's coming my way but uh, mm -hmm. I'm really starting oh. to look forward more towards like landscaping my island and and moving things around and trying to really make it like my own place I've been really inspired by watching a lot of people and seeing a lot of people's creations out there yeah, man, the more I hear about it, the more I want to play Animal Crossing. And maybe I'll just play the GameCube one for now. But, uh, you know, for our listeners that um, were on here last. What's that? Uh, it's a good place to start. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's the original technically, right? So why not? Um, so Actually, for the our original listeners... was N64 game. Was it? Yeah, it was released only in Japan. And then they like updated oh, well. it and ported it. And that was released as Animal Crossing here. On the GameCube? Uh-huh. So then I see original. You're, you're killing me, Ryan. You're killing me. So uh, for our listeners last week, I had mentioned something similar to Animal Crossing. That game was actually Yonder. So uh, if you didn't catch an episode, you can, of course, catch it on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podcast Addict, Podbean, and pretty much anywhere that you can catch a podcast episode. And Ryan, where can they find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram at The Game Deflators, and you can find us on Twitter at Game Deflators because they can't handle the. Exactly. And of course, leave five star reviews anywhere you see us. We always appreciate it. And only five star reviews. Manage. A six star if you can manage. Yes, you that's know, correct. Actually, a review. I, I got a thing about five star review. I was driving down the street the other day and I saw this sign outside of this dealership that said, average five star review wouldn't that have to mean that like every star you got was five stars because once you at, like get something below that wouldn't it dip down like wouldn't you have to have well, a I mean, perfect score to have a five star 
Yeah, unless they're rounding up and they're like, well, we hit 4.6, and that kind of rounds up the five. Yeah. So unless they're going that route, or they're allowing six-star reviews, which we should be doing as well. Apple Somebody Podcasts. needs to authorize that. Let's change yeah, the let's... internet. Look, hey, if uh, if Spinal Tap can raise it up to 11, I think we can raise it up to six. It's not asking a whole lot. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into our articles this week, man. So this one isn't necessarily an article. It's more of a opinion theory it's type of piece. way out there piece. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So this is James Sullivan at Next Level. And what he talked about on his article was this thing called dynamic suspend and resume. And the idea is that say you're playing God of War, okay? And you've got all your games downloaded on your PS5. You're playing God of War and you go, you know what? I want to go ahead and play Last of Us 2 on my PS5 now because I downloaded it. You hit your button, you go to your menu, you load up Last of Us 2, and instead of a black screen, it just fades into the next character. And you're now, you know, playing as Joel in Last of Us 2. So I think the idea here is that it gets a, it gets rid of the whole thing of having to load up different games. And so if you had paused in Last of Us 2 at that point, you could go back into God of War and resume where you just started. It kind of, it's kind of reminiscent of what you have the PS4 right now, right? You can just hit rest and it literally just rests on your game. And then when you load up your PS4, it starts right back up there. Except That's the idea, it right? It in like less than half a second. Exactly. Like it takes advantage of ESSD to just upload or not upload, but go into your new, your other game like right away. And so uh, while I don't See, think it's a of- far-fetched... Huh? Well, okay, you go ahead. Okay, so, well, I don't think it's, like, a far-fetched idea. It just makes me, like, there's got to be limitations on that. I mean, it depends on how powerful a system is. Because what happens when you start getting into the whole thing of, like, four or five different games that you have the suspend feature on? You know, like, isn't it, and it has to stay on. It's not like it could be turned off. You don't, like, hit rest mode on or you don't turn off your ps4 and expect it to boot up your game where you last started it doesn't work like that well so if you want it has to be in rest mode yeah i mean and that's fine they they actually suggest that you leave it in rest mode over power off yeah no i agree and i know the my biggest thing with this is like it sounds crazy cool like when he's talking about oh imagine you know spider-man swinging through a city and then it drops down and you're right back in your first person fours of you and i'm like you know that sounds like a trailer for a console like Mm -hmm. that's what happens in console trailers like i remember seeing like the ps3 kiosk running when i worked at target and seeing like you know that exact type of thing that's a trailer and to try to put that into games like that would be like these people are already under crutch just to put out like an awesome game like to try to fit in weird custom transitions and then also to say that it can load all of this in less than half a second you're either going to have to make really quick transitions or you're actually putting in the delay that you're saying it's capable of removing like the amount of time and the immersion that you would have to break to go in and select whichever other game you would want, because you wouldn't want this to be an easily triggerable event. Like you would want to have to like suspend your game, go to a menu, select what you want. So you're already breaking the immersion there. It's just, if it's this fast and it can just do that, 
then that kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing that and you're building in a loading screen that the game doesn't need yeah i I think it well well here's the thing it would take advantage of the ps4 it necessarily wouldn't be the game itself so that's why i said it's kind of reminiscent of that rest mode that we already have from what i've read and how it seems to be described uh you know it's just really a I'm transitioning games. It's not a matter of the game itself is transitioning. It's a matter of a system transitioning from one uh, piece of, you know, software running to the next. Yeah. So that's all that's really happening. Um, I don't think you have to have a load in screen in the game itself. It's more of the system saying, okay, I'm putting a pause to this and I'm transitioning to the next one. How that's done. I would have no idea. I don't think a developer would need to worry about it for a game. I think it's more of Sony and trying to figure out how that would work in a console. It's, I don't, I don't know. The way that you're talking about it, like other things have already done this. Like on the Vita, you can have like the settings and a game open and like another game tab open. And you're only running one of the games at a time. But like Mm -hmm. having like a list of things that are on and switching between them is not like weird or new. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's weird or new either. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting how it's described here. So, I don't think this is going to happen. No, this but, is just this is just somebody's interesting idea. Yeah, and it's definitely an interesting idea. I don't think it would happen, and it's really one of those like, is it necessary to have something like this? Not really. It's cool, but it's not necessary if something like this came up. So well, I don't even know how much I would use something like this. Yeah. Well, thanks so. for letting us think about that, James Sullivan. And moving on yeah. next, this is something crazy that I can't believe that I haven't heard of before, but uh, Xbox Series X will push the all-access subscription model for next-gen launch. Uh, this is by Eddie McCooch at GameSpot. So I did not know that Xbox had this whole subscription model thing where you can just buy an Xbox and make monthly payments on it like you would a new cell phone yeah and it's actually pretty ingenious like this is this is how xbox is going to sell xboxes is 25 to 30 bucks a month at a time because like to get around the upfront cost of a game console like that's that's crazy like nobody's ever i've never seen anything like that before i mean unless maybe you had like some cell provider that sold like the 3g enabled vitas maybe they Mm -hmm. did payment plan things i mean i guess the n gauge if you want to remember that that probably had something like that but that wasn't really what i would call successful but like so 24.99 a month for an xbox one x with 24 months of game pass ultimate uh, no, that's actually that's twenty four bucks a month for a Series X, and it's twenty three no. bucks a month for Xbox One S. Yeah, but I'm like on the all access site right now. Xbox One X. Oh, I gotcha. Is twenty four ninety nine a month? Comes with twenty four months of Game Pass Ultimate, eighteen month console upgrade option, and then the S is twenty three. The S all digital is twenty bucks. Like for 20 bucks a month, you get a console and you get 
Xbox Game Pass. And then in 18 months, if you want to upgrade, you could probably just start over with a Series X or the Series X2 or whatever. Like, this is crazy. This is absolutely nuts. They're going to sell a million of these. Like, for 20 bucks, I almost want an Xbox just so that I can have access to all those games. Uh, well, I hope they sell a million of these. So uh, Xbox boss Phil Spencer actually said that one of the core reasons for doing this is to lessen the impact of the overall financial burden, right? That's needed for purchasing one of these consoles. If you think about it, okay, based on that price model of 24 bucks a month for the course of two years is what it breaks down to, right? You're looking at about mm, a little over 500 bucks is what it comes down to. So if you kind of take it into consideration, that price right there, that kind of gives us an idea of what these consoles are going to come out at. And it's probably about that $500 price point. And if you're a general consumer who maybe doesn't have a lot of upfront cash and you want to get this console, you're right, dude, like 20 bucks a month. Why not? Well, you're already paying for Netflix. Think about Christmas, man. Instead of buying like, okay, Timmy, here's your xbox that was six hundred dollars like you get one extra controller and a game and like we'll fill your stocking up with some stuff but that's it yeah dude this enables like so many people to jump on board with gaming this year at launch with a new console like i ps5 it just got a lot harder it just got a lot harder, and I know you came through with some info this week, and we'll get to that next, but, like, all that domination that we've been talking about, like, all the slinging that we've been doing at, you know, Xbox over the last few months, it feels like, I feel like this turns me around on a lot of that. Yeah, now, needless to say, I'm not about to go buy an Xbox even at this type of model because there's just not really any exclusive games for the console. Uh, so that's just kind of my not thought. not even about exclusive games for the console to me. I mean, but a lot of the games that are in Game Pass are definitely worth playing. You know, it's like... Yeah, for sure. The access to all that stuff, if you don't already have it, is, is uh, just a crazy switch to turn on. It's like a never-ending fountain for somebody who's never had, like, for, especially like me, I haven't played anything since the 360. So it's like that would instantly like be so much gaming history to go through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just got a 360, so I'm just kind of jumping into that right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this is awesome. I'm not going to downplay it all. Like, it's really something that if Sony doesn't do something of a similar nature, I mean, watch out. Like, I can definitely see Xbox taking this, uh, you know, this console cycle for sure. I well, mean, it's a great way to introduce players into your console. It's a great way to, you know, get them making payments. And the only thing I would question is what happens when they start deferring on payments? <laughs> they're going to repo your Xbox, son. Yeah, they're right. Gonna You're going to have to be Xbox. Phil Spencer is going to come to your door and take the Xbox controller out of your hands and be like, no, you don't get this back until we get your $24 monthly payment. Well, so next up, we do have a rebuttal, not necessarily a rebuttal, but PlayStation swinging in with some info this week. Finally, the drought is over and uh, we didn't learn anything about the PS5, but we did get introduced to the DualSense, the new wireless game controller for PlayStation 5. And this comes from Hideki Nishino at 
blog.us.playstation. This is official, son. So, what we've got here is a new gimmicky controller for the new generation, but gimmicky in what seems to be like maybe going to be some of the coolest ways. I'm really interested. And uh, let's get right into it. So, they've got haptic feedback built into the controller which i don't know how much of that is just cool rumble like they referenced how cool would it be to to feel like the car when you're driving through mud in a game and i'm like yeah that sounds kind of cool and then immediately they go on to uh resistive triggers that have a tension like piston in there to like make it harder or easier to pull the triggers and they were like drawing a bow and I'm just figuring I'm thinking what it's going to be like to play a game where you have to like squeeze in on the trigger to get it to do something and like the sense of like having it like release too like you could do a lot of interesting stuff and I think that that would be really engaging but Mm -hmm. uh talking back like we talked earlier about the Wii U gamepad and then also talking about like the 3DS and talking about things like six axis. And uh, I mean, the Wii kind of was tied to its thing for its whole lifespan and was kind of wildly successful for it. So that's kind of an edge case. DS was very successful, but these gimmicky controller things like changing inputs and making things, you know, special. It always seems to go hand in hand with a new launch and then two or three years into it and nobody's using it and nobody wants to. And it's kind of like, okay, I guess we did that for a little bit. We're looking at you, Xbox Connect. <laughs> yeah, but like they, they do this every generation and I don't see this being a game changer because A, any multi-platform game is not going to use it. Anything that is, um, you know, not compelling enough, like if you would just add it in there and it wouldn't really be related to what the game is, isn't going to use it. There's just there's so many scenarios where this would be really cool, but they're far outweighed by the types of games and the moment to moment usage. And I just see this being something that makes this controller probably end up costing like a hundred and twenty dollars for a new one and then you're paying like a shit ton of money for features that are only going to be used for like the first couple years and maybe not even then because any of these backwards compatible late life ps4 early life ps5 games that we know they're going to be making those won't make use of it either because you won't be able to get that from your ps4 counterpart so it's just extra minutiae for the devs to try to program in well here's the benefit of it if this does become successful we might get those full body suits that you can put on while playing call of duty to actually feel the impact of gunshots they already have those so uh do they yeah third parties make those do they really yeah i didn't know that dude yeah wait so so hold on hold on so you get shot and it's supposed to hit you like as if you got shot um, no, it doesn't hit you as if you got shot, but it, no, like, I mean it like has, it's supposed like, to like sensors and stuff, and it like yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's a real thing. That's been a real thing for a what? while. What? 
How did I not know about this? This because is almost nobody, as bad as because nobody wants that. Like it seems really novel, and it is. But it's like every time you're gonna sit down and play Call of Duty, you're gonna wear this jacket so that you like sit on your couch and feel like little dings. Like nobody well, really that's wants why... that. That's something that... you want to go to and experience, and like you know, like laser tag. Like that would be like a laser tag innovation. Ryan, we are so close in the home. We're so close to a world just like Ready Player One. These things need to be integrated with VR. Well, so that way we can get the full experience. Yeah, you're. Yeah, that's already happened. That's already happened. People already do that. I'm sure. I guess. I guess. Can you imagine doing that in a fighting game and going against Ryu? Right. That just. That just be brutal. (laughs) Okay. So, so, um. Yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah i'm right there with you i think this is going to be a thing for a little bit i think it's going to be very much like the six access on the ps3 where it's an awesome concept but it's going to be a question of do developers actually utilize features for it It, you would have to force developers to do this and they're not going to do that they want the games on their console so you're probably going to have a number of third-party developers say no we're not even going to bother with that why are we going to put in this feature for your controller when it's not being used on the other controllers for the other consoles so i think it'll be cool it'll be an interesting feeling playing like a new gran turismo and having like that feeling of the road and stuff in your hands but at what point does that gimmick become like okay i'm just going to turn this off because i don't like my hand vibrating the entire time i play a game yeah so yeah i I think you're right, man. I think it'll go away. It'll just be like the six axis where it was used for several games. I think the six axis was used on multiple games down the road, but I think it'll just be pretty gimmicky at first. It'll be an expensive controller and they'll get rid of it and there'll be a cheaper option that they'll have alongside it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. So our uh, last article that we have this week, I thought would be pretty fun to talk about. We don't have to spend a whole bunch of time on it, but uh, five of the best destructible objects in video games. And this is by Robert Purchase of Eurogamer. And really what he does is he just kind of goes into the five best destructible objects. So when you're in a game and you just like to destroy random crap, uh, what are you wanting to destroy? So I'll write off the list really quick, Ryan. So he's got in Legend of Zelda, your spin attack, to destroy grass not enemies but grass like that's a good feeling when you're playing that game uh control which i have not played yet he said concrete is the big one you always want to beat up concrete and destroy it yeah i've heard that you can Uh, like late game just rip concrete out of the walls and just hurl chunks of it at people well and then he also mentions filing cabinets so apparently you could lob filing cabinets fly everywhere in that game it's got to be fun. Uh, Fortnite, he mentions wood, of course. Everybody knows about that, destroying things to get your wood. Uh, Minecraft, just chipping away at blocks. It's just apparently Minecraft satisfying. Minecraft is, like, is definitely one of the ones that's like, I mean, that whole game's about destroying everything that isn't, you know. Yep. I well, guess and then he mentions type of block, probably. Well, and then he mentions TNT as one of his ultimate, like, favorite things. He's, like, building a TNT tower up to the clouds and then blowing it up. That's yeah. got to be fun, dude. Like, that's, in fact, he has a video on here of a TNT explosion. Um, and then Fallout 3 was another one. So Megaton, which is a city that has a nuke in it. If you haven't played the game, uh, I would hope you have. But if you haven't, uh, you could pretty much set off a nuke from a old hotel in the distance 
and you just see the mushroom cloud appear. Uh, along with that, you do have the um, the launcher, uh, the mini nuke, which is pretty sweet too. So there's always things you could do with that. And, and that was really his list. So, you know, we don't have to get into a top five or anything like that, but I would just say like, you know, based on that, like what is one of your favorite things to do in games? Like just one of those stupid so, flipping things that you're just like, I'm going to break something. Well, my th- favorite was uh i i was thinking of all the different things and i was like well there's lots of stuff that you can break in lots of games but i think going back to pokemon and using rock smash and finally being able to get through stupid caves or get to secret items you know i I guess you can include cut in there or any of those types like i like that pokemon it made me feel like I could actually interact and change the environment in the world around me. And I think that that was probably one of the first games that I ever experienced that was like that. I mean, yeah, you could destroy blocks and stuff in Mario, but this is like a, a persistent like thing that gets you access to, to go somewhere crazy that you didn't think yeah, you'd be able to get to before. And I think this that expands the world feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it expands the world and it kind of opens things up for the player. Um, so for me, I would have to say talking about changing your scenes, the Soulsborne Sekido franchise, dude, just rolling into crates and destroying barrels and the crashing of them in random levels is yeah. just so satisfying. For yeah. some reason, it's just so satisfying. And you see so many players online like, well, I'm waiting for my guy I just summoned in to you know, to jump in on my game, you're rolling around destroying crates. It's just what you do in that game. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I've had a ton of fun doing that in recent years. And um, yeah, it's just, it's satisfying. Well, I'm going to bide my time by destroying stuff. a good job of giving you like plenty of rooms that are just like, why are all these in here? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it was meant to be destroyed. Yeah. And that's the best, it's not like, Oh, here's one crate, and then here's a bunch that are just sitting I here. It's like a lot no. of fun setting those up. Oh yeah, for sure. They probably like one guy was probably like, "I'm gonna crash into crates," and another developer was like, "Well, what if we just put thousands of crates in the game? Like, wouldn't that be great?" And the best part is they respawn whenever you go to a level again, so you get to do it all over again. Yeah, it's awesome. So it's one of the most satisfying destructible objects in all of gaming history. I feel, and I'm sure there's many that would agree with me that have played these games. So, uh, no more on that. Let's get into our inflation deflation for the week. So, uh, you want to introduce us? So, this week we're talking about Intelligent Cube for the PS1, developed by G Artists, published by Sony, directed by Kenji Sawaguchi. Came out in September 97. It's a puzzle game, and uh, people think it's about a seven, a little higher than a seven out of ten. And uh, I think I'm inclined to agree. It was uh, my first time ever playing this game. I've seen lots of YouTubers talk about this game, especially going through the PS1 Classic when that came out, which is how John and I both played this. And that will come into uh, into play later on when we talk about pricing. But uh, for the game itself, I played it and immediately gave up on it. And was like, okay, how do I even do this? And then I went and watched the first tutorial and was like, okay, I understand this now. And went back in and tried to do it again and still failed. And then I was like, okay, I better watch a video that tells me how to do all of this. 
And after that, it got what much better might be an overstatement, but better. So about that 7 out of 10 range for you? Yeah. Gotcha. So I, like Ryan, struggled at first because I'd never played it. Never even watched a video on it. I knew about it. I've seen it in lots of uh, manuals and such that I've purchased in the past for uh, PlayStation games, but I never did play it. So with this game, for anybody who hasn't played it, you basically have like these rolling blocks coming your way and you have to lay down like a marker and then let the marker disappear at the last second to basically suck up the different blocks. And you have different ones. You have like standard gray blocks, you have green blocks, and you have these black blocks. And pending what you do, you've got like this end of the ramp type of thing where you're pretty much just John, trying to destroy blocks. You're describing this terribly. Uh, quiet, Ryan. So anybody that plays it or watches the video will know what's happening, Ryan. So pretty much as the blocks are coming your way, uh, if they fall off the very end of the ledge, they start, you basically lessen the amount of space you have to work with. And so I would say in my experience, just like you, I had to watch a video because I screwed up right off the bat. As soon as I saw kind of a general idea, it was pretty easy at that point. I think I got to stage just before stage three. I was almost done with stage two and I hit an IQ of 29 in that game. So that was pretty solid. If you'd like to give a description, Ryan, you're more than welcome to. Okay, so it is a grid that is four blocks wide and we'll say, I don't know, 20 blocks deep. And every round, uh, like four rows, five rows of blocks start rolling towards you one block at a time. You can lay down your marker, like you said, to turn the square blue. And then once the cube rolls and stops on top of it, you want to click that button again to turn it red and it will absorb that block. Your goal is to absorb all of the basic blocks and the green blocks and leave the black ones alone as they roll off the end of the stage. And for every gray block that goes through, three of those go through, you lose the last row behind you, giving you less room to maneuver and take away the blocks as they come at you. I appreciate your explanation, Ryan. Uh, yeah, you do. To get a little, yeah, yeah. To get a little deeper, things that Ryan didn't explain. If a black block is uh, consumed by the little blue square that you lay down, automatically uh, it actually automatically lose it. And what sucks is as you get into deeper levels. So I don't think you got this far in it. There's some situations where to get a green block, you have to destroy a black block. You have no choice but to do it. What do you so, mean? How? Uh, well, I mean, unless it's through that consumption, you know how you mentioned the green ones, how when you lay them down, you can suck up blocks or whatever. Uh, I didn't get that far into thinking about it. So for me, if I wanted to get to a green block, there was always like a black block preceding it. Yeah, so but you, I had just, this, you yeah. lay down your thing and you don't trigger it until the black block rolls over it. Like you basically have to miss a turn. Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't think about it that way. See, that was where my intelligence wasn't that high. See, my biggest problem with this game is the control scheme. I I think that it, I guess it's interesting that there's like a little dude that you run around and control to put the marker down and you have to like get out of the blocks rolling on top of you. You don't want that to happen. But that's just weird. Like, I think that this would be like 
probably too easy if you could just like move a cursor between spaces but i feel like you could make it more frantic and more like a traditional puzzle game if you did that that's the weird thing it's like it controls like you're a dude in a platformer but you're playing a puzzle game and i i'm just not interested in that it's not fun for me well so my bad experience i had with the game was primarily on the on the visual aspect or the camera so there were times where the camera just kind of went wonky for a second and it would screw me up to where i was still under a block when i meant to get out uh, and it wasn't me controlling it wrong. It was just the camera tilted in such a way that it, it looked odd and I didn't, it didn't catch my eye right away. So I don't know if that's done on purpose to make it more difficult or if it's just bad development, uh, you know, instead of keeping it kind of straight as it should be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I enjoyed it, dude. I, you know, I got pretty far in my first couple tries and, you know, I'd probably revisit this. I definitely want to try it with two players. Um, so maybe yeah, whenever we're done with this... Yeah, so when we're done with this whole social distancing thing, it'd just be fun to like sit back and play that. All right, so let's so. get down to brass tacks, folks. So what we're looking at for this game, uh, complete inbox is $40. That peaked at $54.49 back in December of 2018. It's come down, but it's holding where it's at for now. And a loose copy will run you $26.55. That peaked at $90.99 back in February 07. Somebody really wanted a loose copy of this game mailed to them in a Ziploc bag, I guess. And uh, I guess it's holding its value for the moment, but the value that it's holding, I, I think this is one of those times that we have to interject and tell people there's a better way. Uh, me and John both played this on the PS classic. I picked mine up at a Best Buy like six months ago for $20. Yep. Same here. 20 bucks. I think I got mine on best at Best Buy or Amazon. One yeah. of the two. So, I mean, like you get this entire game plus all the other games that are on it for cheaper than a loose copy of this. There's no reason to buy this game. If you want this game, just buy a PS classic and you get so much more. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way that this should be worth more than a PS classic on its own complete in box or not, I guess, except for the fact that there's a million PS classics sitting around. And if you're a game collector, then, you know, and you want this game, I guess get it and still get a PS classic. That way it stays as in as good a condition as it can. So as far as obscure games go, I mean, 40 bucks is about right. You know, maybe 35 is about right for a game like this. Uh, you know, I probably wouldn't pay more than 30, to be honest, if it was from a collecting standpoint and I just wanted a copy for my collection. Uh, it's honestly not even worth that. It's it's a fun game. It was cool, but it's not $30 cool. So I'll go with you on this, man. Like if you can get a PlayStation Classic, even at $40 for a PS Classic right now, I know a lot of people like crapped all over it when it first came out, but you got Persona Revelations on there. Final Fantasy 7, uh, you've got Ridge Racer 4 is on that thing, Street Fighter Puzzle, Jumping Flash, Intelligent Cube, like Tekken 3. There's so many good games and classics that are on that console. And there's plenty of room on there. You can break it and load more on there if you're so inclined to do so. Yeah, and it's nice because it's actually that dynamic suspend thing we were talking about a little bit ago. It has a resume feature like you would an emulator. So it's like, okay, I'm done playing, reset. It automatically holds your place. 
on where you're at. And I tested it with multiple games because I wanted to see how that worked. And I had multiple games that were set on the resume function and I could pop them up at any point that I wanted. So I think it's pretty cool. And then it has a memory card built in so you can play some of those games like a Final Fantasy seven or a Tekken and save your data and have it, you know, built into the system. So I thought it was pretty cool. The overall PlayStation Classic totally think it's worth, you know, that 20 bucks that we got it for even 40 would be worth it. And this game right now, I would say if we were to buy this a physical copy, I would say that it's uh, deflated. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would say it's definitely. Wait, what deflated? Yeah, the game itself, not the classic. Oh, inflated. Scratch. Oh yeah, inflated. Sorry, not deflated. Oh yeah, wow, yeah. I just. All right, folks. If you heard me, if you heard me five seconds ago, this game is inflated. It's inflated at forty bucks. Don't buy it for forty bucks. Yeah. Buy the deflated PlayStation Classic. I'm sorry, I confused us all there. All right. So um, next week we're going to be continuing on with our quarantine, and I think that maybe we can use a lot of this quarantine to uh, break apart the PS Classic and see what treasures it holds and how much you could save maybe we should try to come up with a list of savings and find out how much it would cost you to buy all of this stuff separately oh i think we could figure that out pretty quick but yeah uh why don't we play for next week let's play ridge racer 4 okay we were it's, all, it's on the ps classic a, yeah we were just talking about racing games when you got that wheel a couple weeks ago yeah, exactly. So let's just break out Ridge Racer Four. I played that a long time ago. I've it's never got a really any cool of the Ridge Racers. Oh, dude, Ridge Racer games are so good. I think it was Ridge Racer Ridge Racer Seven that was on PS uh, Three. That was a great game. I absolutely loved it. So many different sticker customizations for your cars and the great music. I think you'll you'll like Ridge Racer Four. It's pretty good. Sweet. So okay, cool. Well. Uh, as Ryan said, we're quarantined next week again. So hopefully we can go ahead and, uh, you know, get out of this here in the next few weeks and start recording in person. Better audio quality, I feel. But, yep, my name's John. I'm Ryan. And uh, you've been listening to the Game of Flitters podcast, episode 75. Thanks.